far back as I can remember, I attended that church, swing my feet off the seat, and I'd hear my dad preach, and, and so on. Been to the protracted meetings and all that went around when some of their, uh, uh, in the summertime. I never joined that church. When I was nine years old, for the first time in my life, I went to a Pentecostal church. They had a big revival. I couldn't get in the place. It was so crowded. And uh, I went with a hired hand. Uh, and uh, my mother told me, said, you stay close to Custer and don't get lost off from him. And I promised I would. But uh, later on, they started the altar call. And they got back away from the windows. And I got up there and got a hold of that windowsill and chinned myself up and looked over that windowsill inside of that church for the first time. I saw a sight that I never forgot. I saw people banging their hands together. I saw them with their heads thrown back, eyes closed, worshiping God. I saw people kneeling and praying. And uh, there was something that dropped down into my heart that I was never satisfied with anything but just that. And when I came into the glory of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, my friend, if I'm going to spend my time in it, I want to give all to it. I preach tonight to people who come to church and spend two hours in one single service. And how many times you come a week, I don't know. Now, if I was going to put that much time in on anything, I would assure you, friend, that I would be whole hog for it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. Praise God. I just like that, uh, you know, the things that you like to do, man, it's just get with it. Praise God. My, uh, I, I feel the same way about homemade ice cream and good watermelons. <laughs> Praise God. My wife started to buy an uh, ice cream freezer one time. She said, I think this will be all right. I said, how much does it make? She said, it makes three quarts. And I said, forget it. If we can't get something to make at least a gallon and a half, uh, it'll lick. Well, uh, we just don't want to fool with it. If we can't, when we start eating homemade ice cream, if we can't have enough homemade ice cream to really do some good, well, uh, then let's don't, let's just don't get stirred up. And let's just leave it alone. That's right. We went, uh, was coming out to West Texas one time and going through a little town. Now, this is going to sound like a Texas story, but uh, my wife's here to verify it. And, uh, but uh, I saw out of the corner of my eye, under an old uh, uh, filling station canopy, somebody made a produce stand, a watermelon, man, that was really a watermelon. And the thing was so big, they had to set it up on a, uh, a pretty good-sized keg. And so I said, what a watermelon. And my wife said, ooh, said, let's get a watermelon. I want a watermelon. And so I went up, made a U-turn, passed on my made a U-turn, <coughs> pulled up there to that uh, canopy, got out, and friend, that was a watermelon. And uh, I asked the man, I said, how much does that watermelon weigh? He said, that watermelon weighs uh, 80 pounds. And uh, I said, how much do you want for it? He said, I'd have to get $3.50 for that uh, uh, melon. And I said, I want that. And he had others there. And uh, uh, he, I said, how much does these weigh? He said, these weigh 40 pounds. And I said, I want two of them. So we got that. We gave us 160 pounds of watermelon. And uh, we put that into the car and went uh, to my uh, wife's folks. And I preached there. And I went over to visit the pastor. And I saw that he had a, he had a, a striped melon on his cabinet. And... Uh, so, after church, I said, Brother Neely, come over to the Rosses tonight. Got watermelon, we're going to cut it. 
Now, I said, I noticed that you had a striped watermelon at your house. You bring that striped watermelon, too. And so going off the parking lot, I said, the Neelys are coming over. And I told him to bring his watermelon. And uh, she said, you've really got the brass to invite a person and then to tell them to bring their watermelon, too. And I said, well, if we're going to have watermelon, let's have watermelon. Praise God. And we, I, I'm happy to tell you that we had enough. We had enough. Well, friend, if I am going to identify myself, Praise God. I like to sing to the top of my voice. Glory. I like to raise my hands. I like to clap them and make a noise. Praise God. When I pray, I like to shut my eyes and get with it. Praise God. And lose myself. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why not, friend? In the Bible, there is no such thing as just a halfway. I would that you either cold or hot if you lukewarm. God said, I can't stand that. I'll spew you out of my mouth. So heaven is not my goal tonight. I very seldom, frankly, ever think about going to heaven. I used to think about it a lot, but now I don't ever think much about going to heaven. I don't worry about going to heaven. Heaven is not my goal. Heaven is my destiny. I can't escape heaven. I, I, I can't avoid it. That is if I keep my relationship with Jesus like it ought to be. And that's what's going to make heaven heaven anyway. That he and I understand one another. And we're in love with one another. Thank God and every day I talk to him. And I live as clean as I can because I want to please him. And I walk in his love. I exercise him. And I just don't think much about heaven. That's, that's just where I'm going. Heaven's my destiny. Thank God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So if I preach tonight to somebody here that's feeling low down. The devil's been telling you and kicking you in the teeth and telling you that you don't amount to anything. You're a son of God. Hallelujah. What God hath cleansed, let no one call common or unclean. God will hear your prayers. Well, that's what the Bible said. It said they'd put their hands on sick people and get, and those sick people would get healed. That was baptized believers. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hard hat men, steel toed men, greasy gloved men, such handed women, praise God. Broom wielding women, praise the Lord. Secretaries, hallelujah. There they are, flesh and blood made in the image of God for whom Christ died. You have a ministry. You have a ministry. You have a ministry. Yes, you do. Hallelujah. Not close tonight. I'm saying that it's a very urgent ministry. When I was home mission director, we uh, were wanting to open a church in Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, there was not one person there that, that knew the truth and was filled with the spirit that we knew of. We got to the camp meeting there, and in the afternoons we'd go out and knock doors. And I will forget one particular door I knocked on. So a lady came to the door. She uh, was, must have been around 60 years old. She was one of the few people that treated me with kindness. She was kind, and I, I asked the question to her. I said, we wish to begin a church here, and if we begin a church here, would you be interested in attending? And she said, yes, I would. I said, when you begin the church, said, let us know, and I'll come. 
took her name and address down. We kept those addresses all of them that we got at headquarters. And finally, when a missionary went into Worcester, Massachusetts, we gave him the names and addresses of these people. And uh, when I saw him next, I asked him, what about this woman that lived up there not very far from the American Legion campground where we had our meeting? Have you contacted her yet? Yes, I did. He said, I knocked on the door and someone came and I said, I have come here to see Mrs. So-and-so. And they said, I'm sorry, but we just buried her yesterday. We just buried her yesterday. Well, the ministry that you have is extremely important. Extremely important. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when I was uh, 13 years old. My dad had been killed in a tornado for some time back. My mother was left with five children to raise during Depression time. We worked in the field as hard as we could, and we were very poor people. Uh, my sisters, myself, found our way to this Pentecostal church, and in our loneliness and so on, we came to God. We were gloriously filled with the Holy Ghost. Mother was a good woman. She had her hands full trying to raise us. Uh, she uh, read the Bible. She prayed. She was a very good woman. And I loved her, loved her and appreciated her. Uh, but Mother never went to church with us. And uh, Mother was not sure, of course, about her salvation. And uh, uh, we were in revival. I want to show you how this works. Here I am, a 13-year-old boy, freckle-faced, clothes that were just in tatters, uh, very poor. One night, God gave me a dream. And I saw my mother in hell. And I was standing, as it were, on a ledge. And in the long, billowing, sweeping fire that rolled past me, she surfaced on the back of a wave and came sweeping by. Her long hair was flowing back in the fire. My mother never cut her hair but one time in her life, not because the preacher taught it, but it's like the Bible said, nature taught her that. And she, she just didn't do it. But uh, her hands were lifted. She was a Dutch woman, short and uh, hard-working. Big hands that had corns in them. Brown with a sun. She raised those big brown hands to me and she cried out to me by my nickname. Buddy, 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 she said. Help me, help me, help me. Now my mother was going all of this time milking the cows, slopping the pigs, hoeing, gathering the food from the garden. She never did say anything about uh, a deeper experience with God. She brushed it off. We felt like that she wanted nothing to do with it. But deep down inside, there was something saying, Help me, help me, help me. There's somebody that you know tonight that's near you and dear to you. You're the closest one in this world to them. If you are not instrumental in winning them, they will go to hell. They will be lost. It depends on you. That's the reason why that God did not locate all the minister right here on this pulpit. But it's out there. It's with you. God gave you a vocation. 
He gave you grace for that vocation. According to your calling, according to your gift, there's grace that comes with it. Praise God. <laughs> I waked up, I wept, I wept, I wept. And the next day, my sister, who was 16 years old, myself was chopping cotton. This is in Louisiana. And as we chopped along, I said, Ivan L., I dreamed a dream about Mama last night. I dreamed that Mama was in hell. And uh, I feel like that we'd better try to get her to go to church. And Ivan L. made some kind of excuse about it. I said, we can do it. I said, let's, let's divide the night work up tonight. And uh, you do such and such things, and I'll do such and such thing. And if, if you'll do it, well, I'll ask her when we go in for dinner. And she said, all right. And after a while, I saw my mother put the old hoe on her shoulder and head for the house. I don't know how she would rake the ashes out of that old stove and build that fire and cook a big meal and have it ready by 12 o'clock after she had worked some in the field. But uh, that was a big vegetable meal, cornbread and so on. And uh, so we sat down there and we're eating. And uh, my heart was beating fast. I don't know why sometimes that it's harder to approach somebody that's close to you than it is a rank stranger about their soul. But uh, after a while I got up enough courage and I said, Mama, uh, we want you to go to church with us tonight. And that startled her. Now, she looked at me real quick and looked back down to her plate, took a bite or two, and then in a brusque way, she, I'm sure she was a little embarrassed, it was a little awkward for her to handle. And she simply said, Oh, I said, you know I can't go to church. She said, I got all of this night work to do and so on. And I said, Mama, if you'll go to church, Ivanelle will do this, and she'll do this, and she'll do this. And I will do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And besides that, if you'll go to church, I'll go out to the well before I go back to the field, and I'll draw you up some bath water. Because that old well water was cold. But if you want to take a bath, late evening, you draw the water up, had a time for it to sit there in the sun. And uh, she said, well, all right. You know why I'm telling you this tonight? It's because that here is a freckle-faced, dirty, little old 13-year-old farm boy that God was using. Don't tell me that you don't have a ministry. You've got a ministry. And your pastor is here to lead you and guide you in perfecting and using that ministry. Well, we worked in the field that afternoon. And sure enough, early that day, I saw my mother pick her hoe up and start for the house. Ivan L. and myself did extra things. My mother went to church. That was her first time to be in church with us. It was summertime, and it was hot, but she had on a coat because the dress that she wore, she didn't feel quite comfortable with it, and coming to church, and she better covered herself with a coat. It was an old dress made out of feed sacks then, and uh, they, the feed sacks that she bought had prints on them, and they, uh, the poor people starched their clothes with flower starch. 
And if you didn't strain it real good, it would make white spots, you know. And I remember there's a white spot on the back of my mother's dress when she walked down the aisle that night. She was the first one. When they gave the invitation, here she went. She knelt down at that altar. Now, I had heard my mother pray, but I never had seen my mother put her hands up. And I'll never forget the sight of those old big hands lifted up like a child. Praise God. That was Friday. She went back to church Saturday. She received the Holy Ghost. Took her down to a pond there and baptized her water. Next day was Sunday and I went to church. Sister went to church. She went home with somebody and I came back home. My mother said she wasn't feeling well. She didn't go. Time for her and I to walk to church. It was three miles. Every time we walked, went to church, we walked. Six miles every time. Doors open. And uh, so my mother was off behind the smokehouse praying. She came around. She didn't look good. She had to help herself up on the porch by the post, by the doorstep. She said, son, said, I, I just can't make it. I don't feel like going to church. And I went ahead to church. When I came back from church that night, my mother was dying. I bathed her face, did what I could for her. She was very sick. I lay down beside the bed. I intended to stay awake, but I was just a growing boy, and, and I fell asleep. My mother uh, slipped out of this world. I waked up while she was, uh, she was on her way out of this world. She came within 36 hours of hell. I can take the Bible here tonight, and I can prove to you that uh, the people in heaven know what goes on on this earth. I can take this Bible and prove to you that the people in hell knows what's going on on this earth. And my mother is listening to what I'm saying tonight. Mom, I'm going to see you in glory. Hallelujah. She heard me. Hallelujah. There's somebody that you can witness to. Would you bear with me tonight? <coughs> Let me bring to you one other situation. Well, I'll never forget the longest day I lived. After my mama died, there was just <clears throat> my sister and myself left at home. She was 16, I was 13. We lived alone. And we made our own living and uh, bought our own clothes and lived by ourselves out there on the farm. We went to church every time the church doors opened. God's done a lot for me. He gave me a family when I didn't have a family. It was the church. They took us in and they loved us. And they gave us food when we didn't have food. I love the church. It's been my family. It's been my source of strength. <laughs> Sometimes when I feel so bruised and maybe discouraged by the heat and the brunt of the day, I come to church and I don't feel like even preaching or ministering. I've had everything knocked out of me. I maybe get the church service started and I say, oh, I'd like to hear you folks testify and I'll go over to the side and sit down. And you know what happens a lot of times? That church don't know what they're doing. But they get up and one will say one thing, 
about Jesus and another will say something else about Jesus. And they always say just the exact things that I need to hear. And that church reaches out its arms and takes me and puts me on its lap and downs me up on her knees, kisses my sore places in the spirit. I get my head up. I'm ministered to by warmth and by a, a spiritual intimacy there that is just so beautiful. Praise God. There's been times when I've been just needed help. I've gone and sat on the altar and I tell the men of the church, I want you to come pray for me. I don't want you to come up here and touch me with a couple of fingers. I want you fellas to get a hold of me and bear down. I want you to shake me. I, I want to I feel those big old strong hands. It's got corns in the palms. <laughs> I've got confidence in that kind of praying. That's the church. Praise God. I believe in the people that I pastor. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. And I feel those men's hands on me. And I know what they have to put up with. Even to get to church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But. <clears throat> so. There wasn't a lot of work to be had around there. Sawing of logs. And peeling of poles. And cutting pup wood. And things like this. And this was dead. I had to compete with men from the time that I was 13 years old. And, uh, <clears throat> but God was with us. Uh, and I grew on up, and the persecution that we had in those days faded. God helped me to have work when nobody else had work. Not any of the boys. I wore as good a clothes as they wore. And they began to respect me, and I'm ashamed to say that I grew cold in spirit. I never did claim to give up God, but I quit going to church regular, and I quit reading the Bible. And... Uh, I, I just wanted to be one of the boys. And I, I said that I was still living for God, but in reality I wasn't. And I'd grown cold in spirit. And I may be talking to somebody here tonight like that, that your ministry is not active. You're just not doing it. You're living just for yourself. And that's a shameful thing. Well, that was what I was doing. And then World War II came along. And uh, Mussolini invaded uh, <coughs> Ethiopia. The Siegfried line was there, the Maginot line was there on the German side. There was 16 million Germans facing 16 million Frenchmen, and there was 35 million in all on each side. And men ready to fight. And uh, we were getting on up in age, and, and we were getting draft age. There was a bunch of boys there in that little old town. Just had 200 people living in it. It had... Uh, a couple of grocery stores, Mauer and Tatum and, and Young Blood store. And uh, then Alder Johnson's filling station was over the hill on the highway. And there was a piling yard. Then on the other side of the piling yard was an old mill site. And then there was a big tall stand of pine trees and a hill. And down at the bottom of that hill was one of the finest country swimming holes that you could ever hope for. Big diving board and an old tire hooked onto a long rope hanging out of a black gum tree. And uh, it's one of those typical southern situations. We whiled a lot of happy hours away over there in that old swimming hole. And we went and did things together. And boys, there's about 15 of us, and we enjoyed one another. We put peel poles together and sawed logs together. And sometimes it's too wet to get in the woods, and, and we'd end up at Young Blood's store. Young Blood had a pop box that and you cool the drinks with ice and 
Okerson would bring 100 pounds of ice every day and set it on top of those uh, pops and, and take the old ice pick and whiz around. We'd uh, snitch some ice that was chipped off there and, and uh, then the, the drinks was real good and cold. Uh, <clears throat> RC Cola came out about that time. It was the biggest drink out and it was the favorite one for all of us and also Powerhouse Candy Bar. It was the biggest candy bar. It used to be a Whopper and uh, <clears throat> we just enjoyed that. Well, we'd talk and do different things, but long before we broke up, we would uh, buy us a powerhouse candy bar. We'd go over to the old pop box and fish around and find the coldest RC that we could. And we would open her up and we'd back up to the old counter and hitch ourselves up and bump our heels on the counter and make that, uh, <clears throat> that RC and that powerhouse last as long as we could. And so was life. There was one of the fellows in that group that was, uh, I'll, I'll call him Jack. He was a product of a broken home. His mother made a living on a, a welfare project. She worked with my half-sister, who I happened to be staying with at that time. And uh, uh, Jack was a, a bully, and he cussed, and he just he was kind of mean, but if you stand up to him, he'd let you alone, he'd treat you all right. We all liked him, we understood him. One night, God gave me another dream, and I saw Jack. I saw him when he was drafted into the army. I saw the place where he went for his boot camp. And friend, World War II boot camp was hell on earth. And it was just six weeks of it, and then you went right into the, right into the battle. I saw him in boot camp. I saw him under the live ammunition. I saw him running the obstacle courses. I saw him in the dry canteen marches. I, I saw him through all of that. And I watched him. It was one of those dreams that started and stopped and went all night long. And I saw him in various, uh, various positions. And then I saw him as he was shipped out. I saw him going up the gangplank with that big duffel bag on his back. And the, the, the fellows up, up, up they went, up they went. Just, uh, just it looked like that, that line had never end. And here come old Jack with his duffel bag. And uh, <clears throat> he was on board that ship. And they sent him to a place that I, I had never heard of before. Or if I had, I didn't remember. But it was very clear in my dream. It was a place named Slenario. And they sent him there. There had been an invasion, and there was a defense perimeter cast up, and, uh, and the beachhead was secured. But the debris of war, the sunken ships, and all of that was scattered around there, and I, I saw Jack as he went in there. And then the next time, the last part of that night, here he comes again, and it's a breakout. There's a curtain of artillery fire over him, and, and they're making a push. And uh, <coughs> Jack <coughs> has a squad of men under him. And he's out front. And they're going up a mountain on a road. And, and they're ferreting out anti-personnel mines with machines and uh, securing them, digging them out and carrying hurrying them over to the side of the road. Behind them is coming the tanks and the infantry are moving up with the tanks and the rush of artillery is coming over and I can hear it smashing and crashing up ahead. And the, the fellows are frightened and uh, everything is bedlam and noise and chaos and, and there they are just hurrying, hurrying, hurrying and sweating and, and panning and digging those things out. And then right while I was looking right at him, he missed one and that thing went off and blew that boy, my boyhood chum, up into the air. I saw him tumble head over heels and the big clods of dirt and sand and uh, 
and they all settled down. And there he was. He was, of course, unconscious, and one leg was gone, and the other was just wadded up under him, and the blood was going. And somebody said, medic, 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 medic. Somebody came running and began to try to stop the blood. Another gave him a shot of morphine, and uh, he died. I waked up. I knew, I knew, I knew that that dream had implications. I sat down at a little sparse breakfast that morning with my half-sister. I said, Zula, dreamed about Jack last night. I told her the dream. She went to work at that welfare project, sewing room. And when she ate dinner that day, she happened to be sitting by Jack's mother. And she told her, said, Buddy, Pew, dreamed about Jack last night. And she told Jack's mother about it. That night... That mother waited up for her boy to come in. And way late after a while, Jack came in and uh, found his mother waiting for him. I come you up. I want to tell you a dream that Buddy Pugh had about you. So she told him the dream. And a few days after that, I was down at Young Blood's store and it just so, it just so happened. No, it didn't! It didn't so happen. God planned it that way, that just me and Jack was in that store. Just nobody else but me and Jack. <clears throat> we talked a little bit, teased one another, shoved one another some, and uh, after a while we went, got us a powerhouse candy bar, got us an RC Cola, hitched herself up on the counter and bumped her heels and talked. After a while he said, say, Jay, buddy, so let's go swimming. Said, it's hot, so let's cool off. I said, no, let's wait a while. Somebody else will come. It's no fun, just us. And, but they didn't come. After a while, I said, come on, let's go swimming. We walked out across the piling yard, KCS railroad track, walked out across the old mill site, walked through the tall stand of pine timber, came to the edge of that old swimming hole. It's one of those long southern summer days. Must have been about 2 o'clock. The old dragonflies is flying close to the water that day. Mr. Kelly had dug his peanuts and it was in a field across Highway 171 and he shocked them and the crows was working on them and they was making a fuss over there. And the blue jays were uh, fussing in the top of the tall back guns that day. And then Jack surfaced in front of me and I was treading water and he was treading water and he was out in the middle of the pond. His black hair was matted against his suntan forehead and he grinned at me through tobacco-stained teeth. And in a husky voice he said, you dreamed about me the other night. You dreamed I got it, didn't you? What little Holy Ghost I had welled right up inside of me. And it was right in my mouth. And I knew what I was supposed to say. And I'll tell you what it was. It was just simply this. That's right, Jack. You know, it's not going to be long for all of us going to be right over there in that mess. And, uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Why don't you go to church with me Sunday night? That's all I would have had to have said. And he would have gone. And the rest of them would have gone too. I don't know what I said that day. But I didn't say that. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. And you didn't say it either, did you?
why I'm telling you, you've got a ministry. You've got a ministry. The bulk of the ministry in this city is done from here back. That's right. That's where the bulk of it is done, from here back. And so time went by. Those boys were trapped right into the service. And right overseas they went. I did not pass my physical. I didn't go to the army. And uh, several years passed and war was over. I pulled the car up in front of the little church in Noble. I hadn't been there in years. My wife was with me. I had married. And I just sat there. How many times I had walked three miles to get there. I never dreamed I'd ever drive a car up there. At best, I thought maybe I'd own a log truck someday, but never a car. And there I was. My wife said, I want to go back and talk to the pastor, brothers' party. You want to come? And I said, no. After she left, I went in the church. I went straight back to the back where I was standing that night when Brother C.G. Weeks was preaching. And he said, we're going to extend this altar call one more time. Third seat from the back, about halfway down on the fourth seat. And there I was standing. And uh, he said, there's somebody that better come tonight. I wanted to go, but it looked to me like a, a hundred miles from where I was standing down there to the front. But finally, I got out to the edge and I put into that aisle that old dry plowboy shoe. You could buy them for a dollar and 27 cents in a pair. Didn't have any lining in it. The strings had been rotted out by the dews that I'd walked through every morning. I had them tied on my feet with trot line string. I had no socks. My clothes was in rags. I didn't have a dime in my pocket. I had nothing but my sins. And that was all that Jesus wanted was just my sins and me. And I brought my sins to Jesus and he took them. Just like that. And I walked down that aisle that morning like I had. An old boy, 13 years old. I came to that place where I knelt. And I touched that old rough tube of six altar with my hands. And I remembered that night. When I said, God, if you will forgive me and fill me with the Holy Ghost, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll say anything you want me to say. And then I backed off it. I stood at that spot on that Thursday night, May the 7th, 1937, where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I lifted my hands in that same spirit. I felt all over again the tears course down my cheeks. That was Sunday. Monday morning, I went down to Youngblood's store. And there were some of the fellows there. My goodness, we were so glad to see one another. We pounded one another on the back, talked, kind of pushed one another around a little bit, you know. And uh, after a while, we went over to the pop box and got us an RC Cola. They bought us a powerhouse candy bar. We hitched ourselves up on the counter and bumped our heels. And they began to talk to me. Hey, Jay, buddy, uh, where you been? I'm preaching. Oh, are you? How long you been preaching? Oh, so long. You married? Yeah, married. Got my wife with me, so on. Great, man, we need a lot of that. Keep it up. Well, what, what's happening around? What, what's happened to the fellows? 
Well, C.B., you know how he used to like to make those airplanes? Yeah. He always wanted to be a pilot, right? He enlisted in the Air Force. He didn't make it. He washed out. I made a tail gunner out of him. I said he was a good one, but he went down over Germany. And L. Reed, yeah, he never made it overseas. Finished his basic, was making his last trip into town. He's on the West Coast. And it, they brought him in in a truck. He was sitting next to the tailgate. When the truck stopped, well, he jumped out, and he backed back. And there was a woman coming, and she hit him. And, uh, and he died. And uh, Ani, he lives in uh, Shreveport. He's married, got a couple of kids, doing good. And I guess you heard about Jack. I heard the lazy dragonflies close against the water. I heard the call of the crows in Kelly's peanut patch across Highway 171. I heard the blue jays fussing in the top of the tall black gums. And like the slow tolling bell of a funeral dirge, he began to tell me, yeah, what about Jack? Well, you know, he was working in an orange shipyard. Thought he'd get a deferment. They didn't defer him. They drafted him right out of there. Yeah. And uh, he took his boot training such and such a place. Right. And you know how it was then, just six weeks in boot training, and, and they sent you right over. Right. And, uh, you know, they had made that beachhead then in, uh, in Italy, scenario. Right. And uh, they put him in there. Right. And, uh, well, he hadn't been in there very long, and they broke out. Right. And, and, and then they was making the push on the Pole Valley. Right. And uh, it was uh, one morning, and I could say, Stop! Stop! I know more about it than you do. I know how many men was in the squad. I know which one of his legs went off. I know how long he lived. Tell you how he's dressed. But like the blows of a merciless persecutor, his words fell like heavy lead upon my suffering soul. Jack, they say, was good at that mine business. But they said they guess he must have been a little nervous that morning. It was under a curtain of artillery tanks was coming up behind the infantry support, yeah. And uh, he missed one. Right. And he uh, blew one of his legs. Right. And he didn't live long. I could hear the call of the crows. And I could hear the fuss of the blue jays. I saw a suntan forehead with black hair matted against it. And I saw a boy grin at me through tobacco-stained teeth. And I heard a husky voice say, Say, Jay, buddy, you dreamed about me the other night. You came to got it, didn't you? But I know that my boyhood chum hears what I'm saying. I could prove that. I know that he knows that, what I'm saying. I guess he's cussed me for every black, dark name that hell affords. And I, I don't blame him. There he is. He's been in hell now for 30 years. 37 years. Been in hell. He's not had one drop of water and not one hamburger and he's not sat down in one chair. Oh, I'm serious. Jack. I'm sorry. Sorry? But what is... That's cheap, isn't it? But... All I can say is, Jack, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Jack. Jack, I'm sorry. I am Jack, I'm sorry.
You don't see what's on my hands tonight. But I can feel it. It's slick. It's red blood. The Bible said if you don't warn the wicked and they die in their sins, I'll judge them, but their blood will be required at your hands. And there it is. I hear his voice every now and then. Say, hey, buddy. I was the latter part of 16 at that time. But I had a ministry. And I didn't use it. You've got a ministry. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I've told you what God wanted me to tell you. And I didn't come all this long way up here just to preach you some pretty sermon and try to have some kind of exposition here. If we can come to the heart of things and come to grips with some things during this anniversary time, I'm afraid for somebody. I think that we ought to face up to some things. Praise God. You never mention him to me. You help me not the light to see. You met me day by day. And you knew I was astray, yet you never mentioned Jesus to me. I feel like tonight that we ought to just make an altar, a seat where you're sitting, and just slip around. I think it would be good if we just got down on our knees and prayed tonight. Praise God. Would you do that? I want to pray too.